I'm Rechard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 183, for the weekend starting 14 July 2017. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, the home of South Africa's best technology journalism. On Talk Central this week, SAP is in a world of hurt. A merger between Centech and Broadband Infraco on the cards, possibly. The CSIR to conduct a spectrum audit. SAT3 goes down. Did anyone actually notice? Hmm. And something... Something. Someone has invented a battery-free phone. Ooh, sounds very nice. It's Friday, so it's time for your favorite tech podcast. Welcome to the show. How's it, Rechard? How's it, Duncan? My word, what a busy week this has been. I don't um, know where this year's going, firstly, and secondly, oh, what's yeah. happening to time these days? Yeah, well, they say the older you get, the faster it flies. <laughs> um, sadly, that seems to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, news-wise, hectic week. Um, and, of course, headlined by SAP, which we're going to talk about in some detail in the show today. But before we get to all that, let's do our quiz. The first question, which Gupta-owned firm has been drawn into, kick, into a kickback scandal involving German software giant SAP? Secondly, uh, Uber is merging its Russian business with which taxi-hailing service? The third question, which PC maker has reclaimed the top place from Lenovo in terms of global unit shipments in the second quarter of 2017, according to Gartner? Fourth question, Ultron this week said it will sell subsidiary Crabtree, which is an electronics company, to which company? And the final question, the SAT3 cable had a break-off in Cape Town this week. What other cable system runs to Europe from Cape Town along Africa's west coast? That's our quiz. As always, we'll get to the answers at the end of the show. But uh, let's get into our news, and there is plenty to talk about, and um, I think we're going to spend a good chunk of this podcast talking about a certain German software company Mm -hmm. called SAP, which um, doesn't usually make it into the news because they're one of those sort of companies that operates behind the scenes. uh, yeah, just a quiet uh, train locomotive, you know, just, just steaming down the tracks. And just chugging just, along. Companies yeah. spend a heck of a lot of money on their software uh, mm. uh, and, and um, not always successfully. Um, there have been a number of, of, more than a number of of uh, stories over the years of companies that have deployed SAP and uh, run into all sorts of difficulty. I think the most recent example I can think of is Datatech, mm. which is blaming an, blaming an SAP implementation for its poor financial results. Um, Standard Bank is busy with a massive SAP implementation, which has been delayed for years. They've spent, I don't think I'm wrong in saying billions of rand mm, mm. on that project, uh, replacing their core banking systems with an, with an SAP solution. So um, while they operate behind the scenes, they uh, they have done some controversial things, I, I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Very, very big company. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're the biggest enterprise software company in the world. I think that p- title probably belongs to Microsoft. Yeah. Um, but certainly they're in the top two or three. I'd imagine mm. it's between them and Microsoft as the biggest enterprise software company in, oh, in yeah. the world. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Larry Ellison would argue otherwise, but um, uh, they're both very big companies. SAP, SAP, huge, huge, huge company. And, you know, multi, one of these, these multinational companies, you know, they operate according to strict procedures. They've, they, you know, they're, they're, they're big corporates. So, it's unusual for them to be caught up in a bribery and corruption scandal, which is exactly what's mm. happened in the last week. Um, just in case any of our listeners uh, have missed the story, uh, just a very, very brief recap. Uh, the Daily Maverick and News24 ran an P- investigative piece by um, Ama Bongani uh, and Scorpio, which are two um, investigative uh, journalism units, houses. I think Scorpio fits under the Daily Maverick. And they took information from the Gupta leaks emails, um, which has already produced the most <laughs> sensational stories over the last few months. And um, the story basically says that uh, there were kickbacks paid to a Gupta-owned company uh, called CAD House. Mm-hmm. Um, that they paid CAD House an amount of 99.9 million rand uh, to secure um, various contracts from government, uh, including a transnet. Um, and that the go- essentially the story alleges that um, uh, the Guptas were the fixers um, and SAP's local office agreed to pay this company CAD House. The money went in there and then very quickly it went out of there again. CAD House sells 3D printers. They're quite a small company. Mm. Now, they allege um, that this 100 million rand or so went in and then went straight out again to other Gupta-owned companies like Sahara Systems and Sahara Computers. And um, 
so very serious allegations. Uh, so the story was published, uh, from what I can tell, early in the hours, early on Tuesday morning, possibly late on Monday night, uh, on News 24 and Daily Maverick. Um, within hours on Tuesday morning, Brett Parker, who's the now suspended MD of SAP Africa, and I think he heads up the South African operation as well, uh, issued a very hard-hitting statement um, denying that there was any wrongdoing um, and suggesting that um, I think the words that he used was various actions are being considered and in essence saying that um, we'll sue for damages against anyone repeating mm. these claims. Mm. Um, so in effect saying to the journalists, how dare you publish this, um, get your facts straight, we... we uh, we um, we have not engaged in any criminal uh, behaviour here. Um, then uh, there was no, no more on Tuesday, and then we went through the whole of Wednesday with no further information coming out of out of SAP. So it was all sounding very quiet. And then uh, late on Wednesday evening, I think uh, the release came into my inbox at about eleven thirty p.m. Mm. Um, so <laughs> people working late nights. very late nights. <laughs> Um, probably with little, very, very little sleep. The statement came in to announce that the four top executives, in fact, in effect, the entire top management team at SAP in South Africa has been suspended. Um, the term they used was placed on administrative leave, mm. which means the same thing. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they haven't named who those four executives are, although various names have appeared in the media. So um, it's understood that Brett Parker issued the statement on Tuesday attacking them, the messenger, in effect, was one of those suspended. Um, now, I think it's very important to, to, to say, I mean, it's, it's very easy to, to sort of cast judgment here uh, and say, well, look at what these bad guys have been doing. I mean, there needs to be an investigation. Sure, we don't know sure. if there was actually wrongdoing. The, um, the, the, the article and the emails published by... Um, Amumbungani and Scorpio certainly suggest that something wasn't right mm. uh, and there needs to be a proper investigation. Um, so I, I wrote, actually wrote a column on this on Tuesday afternoon. When I saw the, the statement come through from SAP, from, from Brett Parker, I thought, no, this isn't the way you deal with this. Uh, so I wrote, I wrote a column on Tech Central saying, um, you know, SAP, as a matter of urgency, needs to appoint an independent panel or an auditing firm or, or similar uh, to conduct an independent and transparent investigation into mm, these allegations mm. and then produce a report which is published and available for the public to read. Um, and I referred to MTN, uh, which um, faced um, similarly serious allegations uh, from Turkcell, um, which it was um, bidding against uh, for a license in Iran to mm. operate a mobile operator in Iran which MTN ultimately won, but Turkcell made a number of accusations that MTN paid bribes to officials mm. in Iran to secure that contract. Um, and this was hugely damaging for MTN. And what they did was they uh, hired the services of a guy called Leonard Hoffman, Lord Leonard Hoffman. He's a former British jurist, highly respected judge. He was born in Cape Town, grew up in Cape Town, mm. uh, but he moved to the UK. And... Um, he had a highly respected British jur jurist, and he assembled a team, uh, an independent team, uh, to investigate the claims that were made by, by Turkcell. And he produced a very large report. I've got it on my de desk in the office. And um, his conclusions, and it was quite, he made it quite clear in, in, in his report and, and the executive summary that he was given unfettered access to all the executives he needed to speak to inside MTN, as well as access to all the documents that he requested, etc. And they, I think he, he, he um, contracted e external um, support from, a, from an auditing firm to look at some of these numbers and to really determine what happened. And his conclusion, and I forget the exact words he used, it was very strongly phrased, but his conclusion was that uh, the Turkcell claims had no basis in fact. Mm. And they published this on the website. And I think that went some way, probably not all the way, but it, it certainly went some way to, um, to uh, helping MTN uh, clear its name. Uh, now, the, the, the Turkcell allegations are still the subject of a, a court dispute. They've now filed papers in, in, in uh, Johannesburg. So that whole thing is still going to go to court. Um, mm. it, 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 they attempted to take it through the US legal system, and I think it was thrown out uh, on a technicality. I think it was uh, due to jurisdiction or something. 
Um, so what's happened is that um, they, they published this report and that report can now be entered into evidence uh, in this high court trial in uh, Johannesburg, which is mm, going to mm. be happen next year, I think, I suspect, possibly the year after, you know, how slowly the courts move. So what, SAP, so what I wrote was that SAP needed to do something similar. If they f truly felt, which they clearly did in their first statement, that, they, that there was no wrongdoing here, and um, the company has again reaffirmed that they don't believe there was any wrongdoing here, and they believe their executives are innocent of any, mm -hmm. of, of, of any uh, malfeasance, what they need to do is they need to appoint uh, uh, an external um, team to look at this. Okay, so Wednesday went past, and there was nothing. Um, I had a conversation with Bruce Woodfield on 702 on, on the Money Show about this and uh, again expressed my views on, on the fact that they need to appoint this external team to look at this. Anyway, this release comes out at 11.30 on, on Wednesday night saying that they've suspended or placed on administrative leave these four executives uh, without naming them mm. and saying that they've appointed an international law firm to conduct an independent survey uh, which is going to look into these allegations and they will publish... Transparent independent survey. Exactly, right? yeah. And they'll publish results, which is exactly what they needed to do. Um, so it looked like SAP in Germany had finally moved. Um, it looked like that first statement that came out was a mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the German, the German head, head office um, was moving to take control of the situation. Uh, which is great because, I mean, that's what they needed to do. Mm. Um, so on Thursday afternoon, they scheduled a press call, um, which, and I've published the um, audio of that as a podcast yesterday um, with a number of local journalists, uh, including myself, um, Stephen Grotes from 702, Sam Sol from Amabungani, Susan Comrie from uh, Amabungani, I think she's from as well, uh, and several other journalists. And... Um, it was really meant as a, a Q&A session to um, get some further information on SAP's thinking around this. Now, it was, I mean, it was, if you're going to have a listen to that, that audio, that, you know, there was a lot of, I felt there was a lot of obfuscation. Um, there was, um, they avoided answering a lot of questions. Uh, the call was with um, a lady called Adair uh, Fox Martin, who is an executive board member of SAP, so very senior in the organization. She heads up Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and China for SAP on a world, on obviously a global basis. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, she didn't answer some of the questions. You know, sometimes when a question was asked, there would be a long pause on the other end of the line. I can only assume because there were lawyers sitting around mm -hmm. her, either writing things on bits of paper or whispering in her ear. Uh, which I, I find quite kind of amusing. Um, and after the, the call, it, it was, and it was a view expressed by other journalists on Twitter afterwards as well, was it, it was kind of, you know, why did they call this press conference if they weren't really able to say very much? Yeah. Um, for example, I asked her uh, who the international law firm is that they've appointed and what its mandate is. What brief have they given the company? And she wouldn't answer that question. She wouldn't say who the law firm is. Later, it transpired during the discussion that the law firm itself is asked not to be named, which is, uh, is all rather odd. Um, uh, she said that um, the, they will be named in due course. Um, but she also wouldn't say what, what mandate they've been given. So I got the impression that, that perhaps this press conference was a little bit premature. And to be fair to SAP, I suppose that um, it's a very difficult situation. I mean, at what point do you call a press conference? You've already got the media saying, why is this company being so damn quiet? Um, so you have to say something. Um, maybe you just issue another holding statement saying um, the senior executive from SAP is on the way and we expect to be able to be in a position to brief the media yeah, on yeah. developments by, say, early next week. Um, one way or the other, they took a call that it was the right time to, to, to do this. Um, it did come across as a bit premature, but on the other hand, maybe they needed to do it because there was a, a vacuum. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I think I, I posted on Twitter that um, you know, the, the, the sound from, or the lack of any information was from SAP was all rather deafening. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they, they had, for, for better or for worse, they had this um, this call. Now, Adair Fox Martin is arriving in the country today. I'm not sure if she's here at the time of recording, but uh, she certainly is on her way here. And she's going to be engaging with staff and starting the process of this investigation. She said last night that a forensic team is already on the ground and has started its work. Uh, so they're going to be doing an internal investigation and there's going to be an external investigation by this uh, unnamed law firm. Mm. So they start, they're taking it seriously, at least. Um, 
one hopes that at the next engagement with the media that there's going to be a, a much freer flow of information than there was during the press call yeah. uh, on Thursday night. Um, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, it was very early days. She hadn't arrived on the ground yet, so she w- probably wasn't in a position to be able to mm. to comment on these things uh, fully at that stage. But, um, I mean, let's be, let's be quite frank about this. This is a very, very serious situation for SAP. I mean, this is a global company that's listed not only in Germany, but on the New York Stock Exchange. It's therefore bound by the rules of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And it is also bound by the um, U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is a very serious piece of legislation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you are open yourself up to criminal prosecution uh, if uh, one of your subsidiaries, any in the way in the world, is invo- invo- found to be involved in, in corrupt practices, mm. which is the allegation of what's happened here. No, there's serious ramifications for the business on a global scale. Indeed, indeed. It's, this is not just a South Africa story. Um, so Adair Fox Martin defended the, the initial statement that was put, put out by Brett Parker, but I, I would... Um, I would say that at this point that that initial statement was was a mistake. Um, you don't rush out a statement saying you're innocent uh, without having done, gone through a process to you know to to determine this. You put out a statement saying we're aware of this of what's happened and we're going to begin a process. Take it serious, and we're going to look into it. Yeah. Right? yeah, you don't attack the messenger, mm. um, even if you think the messenger is wrong. You don't attack the messenger. Um, you know, because there's probably something to this. And, uh, I mean, Richard um, Poplack, uh, who works at the Daily Maverick, um, who uh, has a certain style about him, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I do. I, do. Um, I don't know if you saw that tweet he put out um, after the... Uh, he posted a link to the Tech Central story with, SA, with, the, with the Brett Parker statement. And um, it's certainly not language I would use in a tweet, but he, he said... <laughs> Um, something along, along the lines of what, what these SAP idiots don't seem to understand is that we have the emails. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess also, I mean, the, this, doesn't just, this didn't just come out of uh, a random corruption scandal. This is part of a much bigger story that yeah. I think every South African is glued to at the moment mm. because it impacts us all. And mm. this, is, this is big. And South Africa is a hut full of this. They, yeah. uh, they, you know, it's day after day after day of these, of these, um, of these stories. And uh, uh, I think people are sick of state capture. And if they mm. see an organization like this, and we saw it with what happened to Bell Pottinger. I mean, they've yes. been run out of town. Um, I don't think Bell Pottinger will ever get another South African client. No. Um, and there'll be probably battle to find some international ones too. I mean, this this has been quite big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bell Pottinger has lost serious business, not mm. just in South Africa, but I'd wager worldwide, uh, as a result of what's happened. And you, you look at you look at their Twitter feed. They can they post anything on any subject on their Twitter feed, and there's hundreds of replies from angry South Africans saying you. I wouldn't even mention the words again. Yeah, you, you can push South Africans very far, but once uh, <laughs> once you've pushed us too far, you, yeah. you've got some wrath to deal with. Yeah. And SAP, um, hopefully someone has, has briefed SAP globally on, on, on just the toxic situation that they're coming into here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is uh, a, a, a situation where South Africans are angry and when they see this um, sort of thing, even if it's not accurate, um, and we don't know whether it is, they see this, these sort of allegations appearing and the, the fury towards these companies is, uh, is, yeah, is, un- yeah. is unimaginable. I mean, the... Bell Pottinger knows all, all about it now. I mean, they've, they must have lost. So, you know, they won't even, I can bet you they're, 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 that uh, big companies going out on, on tender looking for a new PR agency won't even consider them. That'll be drop them off the list. Exactly, exactly. Because, I mean, when you have scandal like that embroiled, you know, yeah. you can't take a chance. And as a big firm, do you want to be associated with something like that? No. Yeah, as no. a South African company, um, would you want to associate your name with Bell Pottinger as, your, as a PR agency? You wouldn't go well, near never, them. Never, never. You wouldn't go near them. But I mean, internationally, you can argue the same thing. I mean, this is worldwide news. This isn't, you know, this is mm. something that affects a, a broader picture. Yeah. Yeah, not good times. But uh, mm. I'm, 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 I'm liking to, th- I like to think that we are heading to a point, at least, where, you know, with the, the unveiling of these emails, yeah. you know, we must get to a point at some, some stage and understand what was underneath all of this. What, what, what shocks me, and uh, I think it's, um, I've heard this view expressed many times in the last few weeks, what shocks me is that there have been no arrests. Yes, yes, you're right. What is the NPA doing? What is Sean the Sheep doing? Sean Abrams, the head of the NPA, he hasn't yeah. made a single arrest. There's so much compelling evidence here of wrongdoing, mm. yet 
yet there hasn't been a single arrest. I mean, why have the Guptas not been arrested? Yeah, I mean, they have been what they've been on literally every single news show that I've listened to over the last year at least. What a good question. Why hasn't more been done? Why? I mean, well, how much talk we know, do you we have? Know, we know the answer to that question. It's because the president, who's in the, you know, the, the pocket, in his interest, not in the, he's in the pocket of the Guptas, mm. and he's captured the MPA. Um, so Sean Abrams just does President Zuma's bidding. Yeah. So I guess this whole story is a case in point for, you know, the state capture by the Guptas. Yeah. Nothing's happening, but this information is out there. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think a lot is going to happen until after December when we have the ANC elective conference. Uh, and then everything changes. Um, everything changes. Mm. Um, I don't want to go on a big political rant because this is a tech show, but in December there's going to be a choice basically between Korsazana Dlamini Zuma and Soror Ramaphosa. Um, if if, if uh, Zuma's ex-wife wins, I think the ANC is going to split in two. Mm. Um, and then they'll probably lose the 2019 election. Yeah. If Cyril uh, wins, um, he might be able to hold the party together. I don't know. Um, if he can, then he'll probably win in 2019. Um, and, and things may improve. Um, he certainly... Mm-hmm. Hey, I, was, I said I wasn't going to talk about politics. <laughs> I'm talking about politics. Um, but Go on, we're listening. It, all, all it comes down to, really, is what happens in December, the ANC yeah. elective conference. Because if Cyril gets in, then Zuma's probably out as the president by the next month. And, mm, and, mm. We pro- and, and Cyril or, or, or some, someone else... Um, in that camp will be caretaker president until the 2019 election. Maybe there's even an early election called. Um, but I can't see uh, this mess being sorted out before before then, at the earliest. So I think we just all have to, as South Africans, we have to hold on and, and, yeah, and try, again, try, African, not, try not to fall off the roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. And again, unfortunately, African time trumps it all because, you know, Things just move at a snail pace, you know, when the guys with a vested interest for these things not to happen are able to push it off or push it back. Well, it all comes to a crunch in December, unless Zuma manages to, unless Zuma thinks he's going to lose. And then uh, I saw one analyst saying the other day that he might even call off the elective conference. Oh. And then we're in serious well, trouble. And then, yeah. it's, then we're moving into dictatorship territory. Anyway, um, mm. let's get back to tech. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit depressed now. Let's move on to something happier. Although a lot of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this podcast is also related to politics. <laughs> but um, So uh, Bloomberg reporting this morning that uh, there's a move again afoot by government to merge Centec and Broadband Infraco. Uh, you'll remember a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago now already, that um, there was a talk about um, SA, uh, but SAP, about tel- <laughs> telecom uh, buying Broadband Infraco. And I heard at the time that um, that the telecom had offered one rand uh, to buy Infraco, <laughs> and it was firmly rejected. Um, so, you know, Vodacom has expressed an interest in buying broadband Infraco, but government has just turned the cold shoulder to them. Mm. Uh, and now the talk is that uh, government wants to merge Centec and broadband Infraco to create this company that will roll out internet. I wrote a column on this this morning, and I think this is a terrible idea. Um, first of all, I think it's being done for ideological reasons more than anything else. Mm, mm. Government doesn't want to privatise broadband infraco um, because privatisation is uh, P is a swear word uh, in the ANC. Um, where broadband infraco has, has some good assets and they should be privatised to a commercial operator like Vodacom yes. or, or someone else if you feel Vodacom, if, if the competition authorities decide Vodacom uh, already has too much power in the market, but there needs to be an investigation. It's not a decision that needs to, should be made by the politicians. Mm. Uh, so sell it off to, to someone who can make effective use of it. Um, but no, let's merge it with another state-owned enterprise. So this is rationalisation of state assets, and maybe there's some cost savings to be made there, but there's no real overlap between these organisations. Uh, the other worry I have is that Centec in the past has been given a licence to roll out wireless internet services to consumers, and it was a disaster. Mm. I don't know if you remember my wireless. Very well. I was yeah. a customer. Were you a customer? So, so, no, I, no, I wasn't a customer, yeah. but uh, I was. I definitely tested it for a long time. And, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, wasn't up to scratch. Um, and you know, they just they weren't ready to do a, a customer-facing operation. Centec is a, a, an operation that's got a handful of customers, the big broadcasters, and they service them quite well, from what I can tell. So mm. they serve companies like uh, the radio stations, like the SABC, like ETV, yes, and they yes. distribute those signals around the country, and they do a competent job of it. Yeah, they're not a customer-facing business. They're not a customer facing business and that's why they messed up with my wireless mm. uh, anyway if they try and do that again I don't see how the organization has changed in, in any way that would make it a success this time you know maybe they go for a more of a wholesale model um, mm. but still it's not the business they're in um, 
arguably they could build the network, but do they really have the telecommunication skills? I mean, maybe they do, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it, just, it doesn't seem like a match made in heaven. Well, the alternative is privatization, but they wouldn't it's go not for that, right? Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Um, and anyway, in this column I wrote this morning, I, I really, and, and talking to people across the industry, that there seems to be a real problem in that the government is quite hostile, particularly to the big mobile operators. And I think it's hugely unhelpful. Um, these are the companies that invest tens of billions of rand in infrastructure every year, yet the government seems to put them in a box and put them in the corner of the room and poke them with a stick occasionally. Um, uh, instead of having conversations with them uh, to, you know, how can we get broadband prices down? How can we invest more in infrastructure and, and deliver in rural areas and create the right policy frameworks uh, to allow for that? But instead, they're going to create the wholesale open access network, um, which is a completely untested model anywhere in the world. In fact, they implemented it in Rwanda and it was a failure. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the telecommunications minister is fond of quoting the Rwandan example, but if, he should go and look at Rwanda. It's, it hasn't worked. Mm. Um, mm. The price, the, the, the KT Corp from, from Korea was commissioned to build a 4G LTE network, uh, a national 4G uh, LTE network from which all the other operators uh, were then meant to purchase capacity. But, but it had a monopoly and the prices were so high, none of, the, none of the other operators wanted to buy that capacity from them. So they're all rolling out their own 3G networks. So um, I'm not convinced this thing is going to be a success. And there's so much complexity involved in, in making sure that, that this thing works properly. And mm. I'm not sure there's, I mean, just talking to industry players uh, over the last few days, it's not too clear to me at all that the, the capabilities exist in the Department of Communications, uh, telecommunications rather, uh, to be able to create the framework uh, to make this work. Um, so it's all very worrying. Um, uh, so you've got this ideological situation where government almost believes that it needs to be directing the sector. Uh, they put the big commercial operators which have actually built this industry uh, and, and provided coverage to almost 100% of the population yeah. in a corner and, and pretend they, you know, those are the big uh, evil mm, um, mm. monopoly capitalists, to use the term of the day. Uh, and, um, you know, you know we'll, we'll ask for their help if we need it. Um, but, hey, hey, we'll just, you know, actually we'll take away all your spectrum because you don't deserve it. We think we know better. We think we know better. We're the politicians. It's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> well, we see the same th trend, I think, in, in many aspects of government. You know, if you look at policing, uh, uh, education, do we really have the right people in those positions to be guiding it, yeah, uh, to no, be guiding exactly. those industries. Yeah. Do you have experience in the industry to know what it's about, really? The, the worry is you end up with a situation like the mining industry has now. I mean, the government created this unworkable mining charter. Now, the in mining industry is suing the government. So the government and the mining industry are at loggerheads. Yeah. The impact of this is there's an investment strike by the industry. There are massive job losses. Every week we see a, a big mining company announcing yeah. they're laying off staff. I mean, are we going to have exactly the same situation in the telecoms industry? I mean, is the telecoms industry going to have to take the government to court because uh, they've created a situation which is unworkable and possibly unconstitutional? Mm. And, um, and what's the, what is the outcome of that? I think what the industry has been doing through this hybrid model they've proposed where they support the OAN while still getting access to spectrum uh, is an attempt by the industry to uh, prevent exactly what's happened in the mining industry occurring in the telecoms industry. Yeah. Um, but there's a very real chance this whole thing's going to go to court and then we're going to end up in a situation with government on one side, the industry on the other side, so, uh, you know, uh, in, in legal disputes. And if that happens, then the industry, which has such potential to grow and create jobs and grow the South African economy, is going to end up like a mining industry. Yeah. And not to talk about the time and money wasted in the interim, mm, exactly. when we can all... I mean, we are, you know, we are techs. We kind of understand this industry. We can see it from an outsider's point of view. And it, the solutions seem in some places very simple, right? Um, but it just seems like mm. it, it's, it's almost two steps forward, 75 steps back. Yes. Yeah, anyway. Um, we need to take an ad break. We'll be back for more ranting right after this. <laughs> Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Honey, why can't I download any more series? Dad, 
My game just bombed. Daddy, I was speaking to Kevin and my cord just cut out. With uncapped Vox Fiber to the home, reaching your cap is a thing of the past. You can have all your devices connected all the time. Get unlimited browsing, unlimited calling, and unlimited entertainment. Vox Fiber. Now uncapped. T's and C's apply. For more information, visit vox.co.za. Welcome back to Talk Central. How's it, Rechard? How's it, Duncan? So, uh, we were ranting about the government, and I think we're going to continue doing that in the second half of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, government uh, um, announcing, well, actually, they didn't announce. I found out that, um, that they've appointed the CSIR to do a spectrum audit. So, we were speaking before the break about the wholesale open access network, yeah. and, uh, and, and the government's compromised. Uh, he, he'd never used the wor- this word, but uh, the telecoms minister, Sibongo Tkwele, has backed down to some extent. Uh, over uh, over the wholesale open access network. So initially they, they said in the white paper, we're going to take away the spectrum, uh, we, we're going to consider taking away the spectrum from the operators at some point, uh, which is clearly unconstitutional and it would go to court and the government would lose. Yeah. So they've backed down on that. Now the proposal the operators put forward was here is a, a broad proposal we're putting on the table which we will buy 30% of the capacity of this WOAN uh, to give it support in return for you giving us spectrum uh, that, that we can use. So that WOAN gets, uh, I think the term they used was sufficient spectrum, mm. and the rest of the spectrum that the WOAN doesn't need will come to us in the normal course of business with license through CASA, um, which was a, sounded like a fair uh, compromise. So um, the CSIR has now been commissioned by the minister to do a study of how much spectrum the um, the WOAN is going to need. Um, now, the devil's in the detail here. We don't know what exactly the minister has asked the CSIR to do. Um, and I'm hearing some concerning things from the industry that uh, uh, perhaps the scope of this has been, or perhaps the, the request has been phrased in a way um, that will allow the minister to expropriate a majority of the spectrum, uh, mm. the high demand spectrum, mm. and we're talking 700 megahertz, 800 megahertz, and 2.6 gigahertz, which are the prime bands for 4G yes. LTE. Um, apparently, it's been expressed in a way that might allow him to um, to say that the WOAN deserves the majority of the spectrum, and then issue an, uh, a directive to ICASA saying um, you will license this in this way. Mm. Uh, which would be a huge problem because the majority of the spectrum that's available should go to the commercial operators. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no way the WOAN, um, which is not going to own the whole market, it'll own a small subset of the market, should get access to a vast amount of spectrum. Um, it should get some spectrum. Uh, it probably should get some. It, it should get some spectrum below a, giga, a gigahertz because that's mm-hmm. the spectrum that's ideal for deploying um, infrastructure in rural areas, which I presume will be a focus of this WOAN. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this, the spectrum below gigahertz is, is better suited for that because you don't have to build as many base stations, so it's not as expensive. Um, but, you know, even in Mexico where they were pr- proposing a, a WOAN, and apparently they're backing away from it quite quickly, mm-hmm. even there it was only the 700 megahertz band that was promised to the WOAN. Still, that's a huge chunk of spectrum. The whole 700 yeah. megahertz band promised to this WOAN. Um, uh, what's also interesting is that in its ITA for the for um, for auctioning of spectrum, which ICASA put out last year, I think it was, uh, they actually reserved a chunk of spectrum. So they've actually put a position on the table already, saying um, this is how much spectrum we believe should be reserved for a wholesale open access network, which is called Lot A of spectrum, mm. uh, with the rest licensed to the industry, so the majority licensed to the industry. So ICASA has already put a stake in the ground and said this is how much we believe a WOAN should get. Um, and presumably they didn't suck that number out of the air. They yeah. presumably did some sort of research to determine that. Um, and um, what's also been pointed out to me by uh, one or two industry players is um, ICASA isn't in, it doesn't have to, you know, the minister can issue a directive to ICASA, but ICASA doesn't have to listen to it. Mm. It's an independent organization. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and it, it, sure, it would, would probably be well advised to, to, to consider what the minister has to say, um, but it's entirely entitled to say, well, Minister, respectfully, we disagree with you and we're going to go ahead with our licensing uh, on, on the original terms. Um, so I think there may be some 
And we've seen it so many times in the sector. I think there may be some ministerial overreach here. The minister thinks he can control the whole thing when he actually can't because there's an independent regulator in place who must determine these things. And, of course, he's now suing the regulator, which um, is, hasn't withdrawn this invitation to mm. apply. And I think ICAS is correct not to withdraw that invitation to apply because, um, uh, you know, because this, this white paper is such a mess. Um, the most efficient way of, of, of getting this much-needed spectrum in the hands of the operators is to go through an auction process. Um, and ICAST has clearly gone that route, and yeah, it's, and it's yeah. taken into account the government's need to create a WOAN, and so has reserved lot A of spectrum mm. to award to the to the WOAN. Um, so I can't help but think that this whole thing is going to go to court. And whose interest? I mean, whose interests are being looked after? This it seems that there's other interests at play. Like who yes, benefit always. the most? Right? There's, and they're not batting for the people, they're batting for their own interests. And again, that's where the problem is, I think, so many of these issues that we're dealing with. Well, there's been no suggestion yet that, that there are officials at the department that are perhaps involved in one of the consortia that's going to take place in, take part in the woe. And I think if that happens, it'll be an absolute scandal. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's no suggestion that that's happened, that I've seen yet, yet. Um, you know, there, there, there are a number of players who are interested in this whole process. I mean, the two names that are most often bandied about are Irene Charnley, who's the MD of Smile Communications, uh, and she's very keen to participate in this whole process, and I think she wants to be an investor in that WOAN, um, and she's a, a big backer and supporter of the WOAN mm, idea, mm. and, uh, you know, the more uh, capacity the commercial operators buy from the WOAN, the happier she seems to be. Uh, Andilian Kaba is the other name that's uh, often been mentioned. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly where how he's trying to position himself. But those are the two names that I keep hearing, um, positioning themselves around this WOAN. There are no doubt others. Um, there are no doubt others. We know Romeo Kamalo, formerly of Vodacom, is, um, is interested in this space. I'm not sure quite what he's... I know he's voiced support for the WOAN in the past. Uh, I'm not quite sure exactly what his plans are. He, he did make some noises last year about launching an MVNO. Um, I think he said that was going to happen in the first half of this year, so I'm not sure what's happened with that. Um, but but he's another another potential player in this market. So, so it's about the money, right? It's it's it's, it's always about the it's money. It's about who is going to make something more off of the back of it's this. It's always about the money. Yeah, um, you know the politicians, of course, will couch it about as you know being about bringing down prices and. But it's always about the money at the end of the yeah. day. As uh, as they t- teach you in journalism school, follow the money. Follow the exactly. You'll find the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, I think that is more than enough politics. Let's. Uh, Let's talk about other things. Um, so did you know the SAT-3 cable had been broken been broken off the coast, coast of Cape Town? Uh, I heard rumours and I had some um, internet issues, but I don't think they were related. Okay. <laughs> so 53 kilometres off, um, where does it land? It's, is it Azerfontaine? Azerfontaine, yes. Is it Azerfontaine or is it? No, it's not. Wasn't it? Is, is that the one you went to? Malkbostrand. Yeah. Is isn't it there close to the Wax. power station? Yeah, just north of the power station, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Azerfontaine's a bit further north. Yes, that's much further up. And right. that's that's where uh, Wax lands. And I think it's also where um, Ace is going to land when it arrives here, if it hasn't arrived already. Uh, so, yeah, at Malkbos Strand, 53 kilometres off the coast. Uh, they're sending a ship as we speak to go and repair it. Um, but I think it, it uh, speaks to the... Um, the uh, resiliency of our internet now that um, major backups, cable gets yeah. cut and it uh, doesn't really impact us. Uh, there was apparently some impact, but it was minimal. Do you remember a few years ago, one of the, I think, I stand to be correct, I think it may have been CECOM, but we only had one cable or two at the time when, yes. that, when, it, when it went down and there was down it, downtime, yes. virtually everybody in South Africa was down, couldn't reach international sites. It's nice to know that we don't have that kind of dependency on, yeah. on internet anymore. I mean, Indeed. we have redundancy, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's largely, th- it's largely the wax cable. And of course, when ACE goes in, um, which is going to follow the same route as wax and SAT3, uh, you know, these things should be, a, you know, you know, there shouldn't be an issue at all anymore mm. in the future. Uh, so SAT3 is down. I'm not quite sure when it's going to be repaired, but um, uh, I think it takes a few days at least to uh, get the ship up and running and out to the break. Uh, and um, yeah, maybe we need some more uh, infrastructure on the East Coast now. And of course, Liquid Telecom is talking about uh, building a cable oh, yes. called Liquid C. Uh, I'm not sure what the current status of that is. Um, uh, I think they were doing a marine survey, but I could be mistaken. And of course, we're getting the new cable that's running across the uh, Atlantic from Angola to 
Fortaleza in Brazil. Mm. Um, that's going to be a 40 terabit per second cable, I think. Wow. And that's going to connect directly from Brazil to the US. So it'll be a much shorter route to the US. So, oh, so pink times will definitely come down. Eh? Pink times will come down, yeah. And it, of course, interconnect with WAX and presumably ACE, possibly SAT3, I'm not sure, in Luanda. Mm. Um, so it'll be another direct route to cross to the US. I love that. I'm such a geek. I just appreciate the technicality and the ability for them to essentially just lay a long piece of string between two tin cans <laughs> exactly. over the ocean. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I actually love. I actually love that uh, that sort of that sort of project work. I mean, it's it's massive, and you you know you you do it for two two three years, and then mm. you move on to the next project. Um, massive investments. I mean, these are hundreds of millions of dollars investments. Uh, and you've got to plan it so carefully. Uh, and there's so much intricacy involved as well. And oh, yeah. a lot of, you know, dealing with regulators and governments and mm. the rest of it. And you've got to do marine surveys. I suppose that, that's the easy part because you just commission a company to do it for you. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's so much, I guess, project planning that's involved in building these things. Same as, I suppose the same as building an FT, FTTH network. Yeah, well. exactly, exactly. But I think the ocean, the vastness of it just makes it infinitely more complicated. I mean, how deep do you need to go in certain places to drop that cable? Mm. Um, what I'm interested to know is what happens when you intersect two cables. I mean, do they just overlay? Do they just lie over each other? Or do they actually have a junction box, a little, you know, let's plug these cables in? I'm just teasing, obviously. But, yeah, uh, no, sure. <laughs> no, there must be, I mean, there'll be these, these buildings where they, where they connect. The, in the ocean, but I'm talking about in the ocean when cables potentially cross over. Oh, yes, yes, they do. They, they can only run them a certain distance. I think it's 80 kilometers or something. And oh, then, and then they have a... The repeater. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting, uh, interesting. Um, and yeah, so they they there are lots of interlinking units, and then in in, in uh, you know in the country they've got obviously have a little data center type of facility yes, where yes. they land, and, and then they connect to all the terrestrial networks, etc. Mm, um, fantastic! Mm. I'm just glad we got fiber now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Vumatel is uh, going to 200 megs. Yes, on yes. the first of August. I'm sure you're going to upgrade, right? To, to for testing purposes. It looks like they're reducing the pricing as well. Uh, we're still yes, waiting for an yes. official communication from Vumatel. I think it's coming next week. Uh, but I think that um, you're, you're going to pay about the same, or maybe just slightly more, for 200 megs as opposed to 100 megs, and then the slower speeds will be reduced in price. Yeah, for the rest of us, it'll be nice to get get a little bit more bang for your buck. My Salsi uh, fiber account has come down a little bit. Uh, I'm oh, paying, I think, 100 or 200 rand less now every month. Oh, wow. Well, which, okay. yeah, I didn't just, uh, expect that. Um, but it's nice. I mean, for a 50 mm. meg line, just over 1,000 rand now, I think. Or, yeah, just over or just under 1,000 rand, rough, okay. roughly speaking, which isn't bad. Yeah. I'm paying quite a lot for my 100 meg, but it's, you know, I was paying not much more for, uh, not much less for ADSL for a 5 meg line. Mm. So now I'm on 100 meg symmetrical for 14.99 uncapped. That's very good. Um, yeah. Which is not to be sneezed at. Uncapped uh, and unshaped, so we, you don't really have any shaping issues no. or anything. No, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just smooth. It's just wonderful, actually. Mm. I could never go back to ADSL. Um, we have to use DSL from time to time, you know, when I'm hopping around uh, various parts of uh, Joburg. Yes. And it's excruciating. You it's actually horrible. realize where mm. the bottlenecks are. Mm. Things I do now that I take, absolutely take for granted on fiber. But uploading video files, downloading. Upload, it's that upload, which is just, I mean, upload on a DSL is, is actually, you don't want to do it. It's just no. so horrible. No, yeah, you, um, can't, you can't plan it. You don't have enough days in the week yeah. to do I mean, the, the example I keep giving is, that, you know, if I want to upload, um, you know, a 100 meg file onto or copy it from one computer to another in my house. It's quicker for me to copy it onto Google Drive and put it on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> the syncing time is much quicker. It's exactly. quicker. Exactly. Um, the USB copying is actually very slow in comparison to a copy on, on a yeah. fiber. Yeah. I mean, we use Dropbox as, uh, or I use Dropbox mm. as essentially a, a, a USB drive these days. You know, I've yeah. gigabytes worth of files or mm. gigabyte size files. That goes up in seconds, mm. you know, it's, it's not an issue anymore. And I actually, when I look at somebody else who has to download those files, now you can see where the bottleneck is again. Yes, yes. You feel sorry for people that don't have access. <laughs> ah, good time. So to answer your question, yes, I will get 200 meg symmetrical. Okay, I don't think you wouldn't. <laughs> so look in forward fact, to seeing those speed tests. In fact, if I can get one gig symmetrical uncapped, probably go for that <clears> too. Although I suspect that may be unaffordable. Yeah, look, I, I think 200 meg will be fine. I think you'll be fine with 200 meg. It'll be faster than your 100 meg LAN. Let's be cables. honest. That's true. No, I've got gigabit. Oh, you got gigabit. I've okay. got gigabit, okay. gigabit through my house. Uh, my Wi-Fi is going to be a choke. Yeah, that's going to be the bottom. Uh, my Wi-Fi goes up to about a just over 100 at the moment. Um, that's still impressive. So I think I need Wi-Fi, to. Yeah. yeah, but I need to invest in a new router because I, you know, with these latest. Um, what do they call them, MIMO or yes, yes. 802.11 AC Advanced, whatever they call it, uh, you can you can get uh, several hundred megabits a second over Wi-Fi. Um, obviously, you need to be quite close to the router, but uh, 
uh, it's possible. Mm, it is. That's not, all you want, uh, just a possibility. Uh, not, not, not that I need 200 megabits per second, but, you know, if it's there, it's, it's like people who climb mountains, you yeah, know, yeah. if it's there, we must climb it. Exactly. You know, if 200 meg fiber is there, then we must have it. The challenge has been set <laughs> and we will accept. Um, you wanted to talk about a, and I'm really, con- yes. I'm really looking forward to hearing about this, a battery-free phone. Oh, yes, but don't uh, sell your smartphone just yet. I suspect it might, it might take a little while before this comes into your <laughs> Nokia or iPhone. But the University of Washington, the researchers there have invented a cell phone that requires no batteries. Um, uh, and uh, instead, the phone uses a few microwatts of power um, from either ambient or radio signals or light. Microwatts. Microwatts, that's it. Um, the team also made Skype calls using its battery-free phone, which is quite interesting, considering that this phone looks like a piece of circuit board. <laughs> if you do a Google search, you'll probably find it online. Um, obviously, this doesn't look like a typical phone. It's just a circuit board. Um, although the phone still uses electricity, it harvests energy from other sources, such as sunlight and radio waves, like I've said. Uh, the team used photodiodes to absorb photons from light sources and generate electricity. I mean, it's a lot of tech speak, but essentially they're using these uh, these signals around us. Mm. Um, most likely, vibrates a little piece of material inside the phone that generates the energy that's uh, required to squeeze electricity uh, to squeeze all the juice out of these radio waves. The phone just needs an antenna, um, and they actually produced a paper on how it uses this antenna to, to generate electricity from these waves. Um, very interesting technology, and uh, you can immediately see the, the benefits uh, of this, not just for cell phones, but potentially for other electronics. Um, and there's also a nice YouTube video. We'll send a link. I'll put a, we can put a link in the show notes, sure. I think, if somebody wants to, to see more information on that. Um, but, yeah, like I said, certainly not a smartphone, but uh, it's very interesting technology. I, I look forward to seeing that link. It sounds fascinating. Um, so if it harvests the radio waves uh, for energy, then um, presumably the closer you are to cell phone tower, the more likelihood you are of making able to make yeah, a phone exactly, call. exactly. And let's let's not, if if, if I can uh, maybe pull in another thought uh, thought uh, in this line of process, uh, this process. Um, if you look at ancient civilizations, I don't know if you follow follow the theories around ancient civilizations on I, Earth. I don't. But, you know, the, the energy that was used, if you look at something like the pyramids, uh, where they mm, suspect and in many ways uh, or many cases have been able to prove that there is high levels of energy around these places, you know, this type of technology isn't really new, if I can put it like and be a little bit of a... a, 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 a um, ancient civilization theorist, um, <laughs> but I find starting it to sound like the, the, starting to sound like the Da Vinci theory. Yes, well, it's, I'm, I'm reading a lot of things and I'm seeing I'm, I'm connecting <laughs> the dots here. <laughs> Maybe you can charge your car with the wireless energy one day. I mean, it, it should be possible, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, we're building so many cell phone towers, there must be some way of harvesting all that energy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, it's still phenomenal that you can, I mean, what, what is Tesla? I mean, Tesla coils is transferring energy over the air, right, yeah. essentially. Yeah. This is, a, I guess, a, a take on that technology in some way, maybe mm. just a little bit more refined. But it's there, it's possible. Yeah. Which is I mean, I would, never, I, would, I would never have guessed that wireless battery charging of cell phones was possible, but now I do it every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, remember when we, when we moved to wireless networking? I mean, I was blown away when I realized that day when I was testing it for the first time. Or yeah. When I heard it for the first time, I was busy working on a router, uh, on a, on a, uh, yeah, a router at the time. And I had this like moment of thought, clarity when I realized, okay, they've announced wireless networking, which means I don't have to drill a hole through this wall to get files from this computer to that computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mind-blowing. Now we take it for granted, right? Yeah, now yeah. we're talking about 200 megs a second download over Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, it, it probably wasn't all that long ago that human beings didn't even know there was such a thing as radio frequencies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we don't know is absolutely fascinating. But um, yeah, I was joking. I wasn't really joking about the ancient civilizations. I mean, there's, there is a lot about energy and electrons being harnessed for, you know, alternative uses, I guess. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. Never say never, exactly. So let's move on to our, let's move on to our weekly picks. And no, let's move on to our regular features and let's start with our winner and loser of the week. Have you been following these initial coin offerings? I've seen some of them, but I kind of just ignored them. Um, I was, but it looks interesting. The story appeared this morning. We published it on Tech Central. Um, so 
they're saying that more money is now being raised, or more money was raised in June this year through an initial coin offering, which is basically a the issue of a cryptocurrency to raise money. More money was raised by startups using initial coin offerings in June than was raised through early stage venture capital funding. Hmm. That's fantastic. That's big. That is massive. <laughs> Um, of course, Vinnie Lingham, um, who I think most of our listeners will know or know of, um, who is currently running a U.S. startup called Civic, um, has just raised a huge amount of money. I forget how much it was. Um, I think it, was, it may have been $32 million. Uh, I stand to be corrected. But he raised a heck of a lot of money through an ICO or initial coin yes, offering. Yes. Uh, I'm still not 100% sh- cr- um, certain how these things work. Um, I think they run on the Ethereum blockchain, if I'm not mistaken. Hands up if you know what Bitcoin or, or, or blockchain technology is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm also still, still in the, I understand the broader concept. but I'm, I mean, a, I'm a noob when it comes to this stuff for sure. Um, but um, there have been a, a number of these ICOs. They're, uh, they're becoming increasingly popular. And uh, yeah, um, bigger than early stage venture capital in June. And uh, it appears that they're just continuing to grow. Uh, so uh, there we go. I think it's time I actually started to uh, get my head around this stuff. Start buying some Bitcoin. So that's our winner this week, uh, ICOs. And our loser this week is Brett Parker, the now suspended MD of SAP Africa. Uh, and I think we spent enough time earlier in the show talking about that. And uh, he's our obvious loser this week, um, I think, for the statement that he issued on Tuesday, uh, which I, th- I thought was um, a bit, let's just call it a bit hasty. Yeah, yeah. So, Rechard, for the second week in a row, I don't have a pick. Um, so, uh, you are going to have to hold up the fort on this one. My pick's so good, it'll take up two of those slots. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually two prizes. So, I've been playing with something very cool. Uh, and okay, let, me, let, me, let me start here. I've been, for a very long time, planning with the idea and, and, and figuring out how is the best way for me to put up cameras around my house. I don't want to necessarily spend lots of money and wiring you know, CCTV cameras around my house. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want something digital wireless. I know the technology is out there. So I discovered this product and I got some for review and, and I've been very impressed. It's a brand called Amarillo and they create a, a range of cameras that is essentially easy to set up, network. Uh, these, these aren't the kind of things you're going to put in, uh, you know, you're not going to wire these things up. This isn't that type of technology where you have it all connected to a central um, PVR style system. Right. These cameras work independently you can access them from an app um, but there's also an option to obviously have that sync to your to your uh, google drive or yep. you can uh, pay money for a service that offers dvr services okay now i just want to share what these look like now what's very interesting is like a normal camera you'd expect these things kind of look funky but there are two designs that i find interesting the one is a design that actually screws into a light bulb holder it's got a little screw mount i'm just trying to call up the photo of it here that is the product uh, but at the end of it it's got a little screw mount so you can literally put it into any light socket it still has a light built in so it'll still function as a light mm. but for example if you have a, a outside area or you can just you can just uh, make a, a you know a stand for it uh, you can put this thing anywhere um, so that's the one with the screw in light bulb um, and then you also have the freestanding one um, the one that I played with uh, is an outside camera called the eye sensor patio which is a little round cylindrical shape in a camera in a waterproof housing and then from a so you can mount it anywhere um and i actually just switched it off i wanted to show you the demo now but i just see my camera is disconnected but essentially you can see this is what the app looks like uh duncan and um it's very slick i mean i can i can manage multiple cameras and then i can also I really want to show the quality. The quality is 720p, which is really good, I think. Yep. I use it at the moment to look at my cat to make sure they're all good at home. <laughs> it's a cat cam. <laughs> it's a cat cam. <laughs> um, so this one can turn 180 degrees, and you just swipe on the screen. So I just look at it on my screen. I can see the live feed, swipe left or right. Um, some of the other models that I haven't tested can also do 360 up and down type uh, maneuverability, which I really like. Um, from a setup point of view, it's very easy. Uh, plug it in install the app uh, it uses whichever wi-fi network your app your phone is connected to at the time or so if i have my home wi-fi network, network set up the camera will then take that settings internalize it and then it'll run on its own as if it's a standalone product like i said you can connect multiple cameras and there's 
I mean, the biggest problem is obviously what do you do with all that footage and how do you store it? And there are services linked to this that you can pay for, mm-hmm. $20 a month. Uh, there's a few packages. I haven't really explored them. Um, but that will give you DVR services for up to a year. So for up to a year, you can go back, see which events happened where. Um, now, with any modern camera, there's a few of these. Samsung also does a few, which, is, which are great. But um, what this one does that's also very nice is it's got facial tracking in it. So using if this and that type of technology, uh, you can apply various things. So natively, the camera can then pick up faces and distinguish people. Mm. So if I have the setup at the door and I've got a digital house, um, if I have a digital lock, I can if this and that or that type of service. Uh, if I have a kid that walks up to the door with a stranger, it'll alert me to say that there is somebody else with a person that I have um, that I pick up. Mm. You can then obviously you know, highlight the face, save the face as a as a safe uh, person, and then that that oh, wow. won't pick yeah. it up again. That's which cool. is great if you let's say you have kids, uh, big backyard. Um, the cameras will keep monitoring, um, and if it picks up somebody doesn't know, yeah, it'll alert you. It'll shoot them. <laughs> yeah, it'll shoot them. Yeah, that's that's with the the rail gun Oxer. accessory add-on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it sounds cool. I've been thinking about doing something similar actually for a long time. Um, I was going to call mine a, a Boston Terrier cam, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, it sounds great. I'm going to have a look at that. I will send you. I'll give you the guys details and get some products for you to look at as well. I, I like it. Um, I just think it worked great. You know, out of the box, it worked. And unfortunately, I disconnected because I was testing another camera last night yeah. and didn't reconnect it. But okay. um, I'll send you a link and you can check out the quality. Great stuff. And we'll include the link to that uh, website on uh, the sh- in the show notes if you want to go and uh, check out those cameras. But they, they look they, uh, they look pretty cool. How much how much do those cost? Uh, um, so the pricing ranges from about three grand, depending on the camera, camera. You got, yeah, up to twelve grand, I think, for the top end one. Wow. There is also one um, that I was unboxing last night, which is a little it looks like a little Rubik's cube. It's got three hundred and sixty degree movement. Yeah. Um, and this one is really nice because it's it's got a little remote button that comes with it. So it is really intended uh, at households where you want somebody to either. In a case of emergency, press a button that notifies you. You get sent pictures of what's happening. So let's say, for example, babysitters, creches, old age homes. You know, there's a lot of application for that kind of thing there. Um, so we're seeing, I think we're seeing the rise of smart cameras um, really becoming affordable. Yeah, relatively affordable. Relatively affordable. <laughs> So I'll have I'll have, I promise I'll have a pick by next week. Uh, two weeks in a row is not uh, good enough. So I will find something uh, cool to talk about in our next show. And by the way, we've got a special uh, show coming up next week. Uh, we'll be recording uh, live from MediaTek Africa mm. at the Dome. Um, apparently, we are going to be we've got a special um, glass dome which will be recording in right in the center of the show so oh, fantastic so uh if you're in the area we're recording at 2 p.m next friday come and say how's it to us we'd uh, we'd love to chat to you uh, the bigger the fan poster uh the bigger your beer will be at the end <laughs> i think you might have got Just yourself kidding. into trouble <laughs> <laughs> but we're really looking forward to to media tech next week in fact uh, if you missed the show last week i had an interview with uh, simon robinson who is uh is Mr. Media Tech Africa. Uh, mm. In fact, Drachot, you were away in the Eastern Cape last week, and yep. I, had a, I had a good chat with Simon about uh, what his plans are for Media Tech this year. Uh, and it includes a drone cage, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think it runs from Wednesday to Friday next week, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, and so hopefully we'll see you there. We're going to be there on Friday, probably get there around lunchtime, have a look around the show, and then we're going to record an episode of uh, Talk Central. So if you're, forward to that, yeah. if you're at the show, come say how's it to us. We'd like to, we'd like to chat to you. And apart from our quiz results, that's our show. Um, Rechard, do you want to do the first question? Yes, indeed. The first question. Which Gupta-owned firm has been drawn into a kickback scandal involving German software giant SAP? And the answer there is CAD House. Question two. Uber is merging its Russian business with which taxi hailing service? And the answer there is Yandex. Third question. Which PC maker has reclaimed the top place from Lenovo in terms of global unit shipments in the second quarter of 2017, according to Gartner? The answer there is HP. And our fourth question. Ultron said this week it will sell its subsidiary Crabtree to which company? And the answer is Siemens. And the final question. The SAT3 cable had a break-off in Cape Town this week. What other cable system runs to Europe from Cape Town along Africa's west coast? And if you listen carefully, the answer there is WAX or the West African Cable System. And that's our show. As always, if you've got any feedback, our email address is info at 
techcentral.co.za. Apart from media tech next week, we've got some uh, we've got some interesting shows lined up uh, for this particular podcast, Talk Central, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to be going to a showroom uh, in a couple of weeks' time to uh, look at some of the latest and greatest in the most expensive audio and uh, audiovisual gear you can buy. Oh, uh, can't wait. Can't wait to sit in that showroom and check out some of that equipment, yeah. Um, more details on that uh, in a future episode. And uh, as always, if, you, uh, if you're not yet aware of the Tech Central podcast or not subscribing to that in your favorite podcatcher, uh, go check it out. It's, um, we do about two interviews a week at the moment, I'd estimate, and uh, we've got some, some pretty cool interviews. This week we interviewed uh, a, a chap from Pretoria, a lawyer, in fact, from Pretoria uh, by the name of Cory de Jager, who has, um, part of it, is part of a team that's uh, invented a technology that they believe could revolutionize the energy industry. Um, they found, they say, a cheap way of creating hydrogen from water. It was a really interesting discussion. Um, um, but over my head, it's not my mm. usual focus area. <laughs> uh, but um, it's certainly very interesting. They've developed something called a membraneless way of... Uh, Sounds like our government. <laughs> oh, sorry, was that too soon? <laughs> <laughs> um, a membraneless way of, of harvesting hydrogen from water. Um, it's still very energy intensive, uh, but uh, it's interesting stuff these guys have developed and uh, they've got a number of prototypes going. In a similar vein, I have an interview uh, coming up uh, in a, as a podcast next week with uh, someone who has developed what's called a reversible fuel cell, hydrogen fuel cell. Um, so lots nice. of interesting yes. tech being developed in this industry, and it's those sort of podcasts I actually like the most. Get to talk to inventors, and uh, mm. you know, there's a lot of intelli- a lot of um, smart people in this country doing cool things, and they don't always get profiled. So yeah. I'm hoping to do more of those on on, on that tech central uh, podcast, not just interviewing the usual suspects, as it were. Um, so uh, some, some great interviews uh, planned and some, some great interviews done in the last couple of weeks. So if you uh, don't uh, already subscribe to that podcast, please add it to your favorite podcatcher. Otherwise, you are missing out. That's our show. Until Media Tech next week, from Rechard and myself, cheers. Ciao, ciao.